0: Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Move Daily Health Podcast. As always, I'm Dane Wallace, along with Freya Spence. And today we welcome to the show functional medicine specialist, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, to discuss the importance of protein, notably animal protein, for overall health and longevity. Dr. Lyon's practice is based around the concept of muscle-centric medicine. She leverages evidence-based research with cutting-edge science to restore metabolism, balance hormones, and optimize body composition within her patient population. As a nationally recognized authority, Dr. Lyon is a regular speaker on the conference circuit and is a sought-after expert and educator. In a world of misinformation and misleading documentaries, we are grateful that she joined us for a chat and hope you enjoy the next 45 minutes of both scientific and clinical-based expertise. As always, if you enjoy our content, please share this podcast and give us a rating or review on your preferred listening platform. Now, here's Dr. Gabrielle Lyon on this episode of the Move Daily Health Podcast. All right. Well, Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining us on the Move Daily Health Podcast. How's life in New York today?
2: It is pretty cold, but great.
1: How cold? <laughs> it's, it's cold here, but it's, the sun is shining, and apparently it's supposed to rise quite a bit over the next little bit.
2: I don't know. It feels like the Arctic tundra. It's got to be... 30 degrees.
1: And so for our Canadian listeners, that's like just below zero.
2: (laughs) You guys are outside sunbathing right now, I'm sure.
1: Well, we got a window right here. It actually feels quite toasty, but I can Mm -hmm. can see snow. That's not cool. So anyway, let's dive right in. So Gabrielle, can you define your concept of muscle-centric medicine for our listeners?
2: Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. So the concept of muscle-centric medicine has really developed over my 17 years of training, of, of education and seven of those years has been in nutritional sciences. And uh, I trained under Dr. Donald Lehman and he is one of the godfathers of protein metabolism. And that, that's really what created and brought about the concept of muscle centric medicine is really through his teachings. And the concept of muscle-centric medicine, it's the idea that muscle is the largest organ in the body and it really controls everything. So right now everyone focuses on excess adiposity and that's not where things are at. It's not about being over fat, it's about being under muscled. And the muscle tissue, the actual skeletal tissue is an endocrine organ. When you contract it, it secretes other proteins called myokines. And these myokines travel throughout the body and are anti inflammatory. Muscle is also the largest site for glucose disposal, a very large site for fatty acid oxidation. And it's responsible for your resting metabolic rate. As you can see, muscle is truly this incredible organ, not just for locomotion. And that's what my whole practice and premise is about. Mm-hmm.
1: That's great. I mean, there's so much focus on you know, fat loss, but just the concept of considering every single muscle as one major organ, I'm yes. sure that's quite an interesting concept for a lot of clients when they start working with you.
2: Um, yes. And it's really about you know, getting your body composition under control because that's what you know, really changes your trajectory of aging. So when you age, there's this decrease in muscle mass, muscle size, innervation And oftentimes, because we live in a very sedentary world, even if you are a athlete, maybe you've gotten injured, you know, and what happens is you train less. And I'm sure we've all gone through periods where we train less. And as we get older, you know, things take a bigger priority, whether it's school or family and and the quality of training just isn't there. And the tissue actually begins to look like a marbled steak. And there is really a natural progression to the destruction of of muscle tissue. And if I just told you that muscle is the largest organ in the body, then you really have to consider what's the difference between lifespan and health span. And in order to optimize health span, you really have to optimize muscle tissue as it relates to health and longevity and not just in the capacity of training.
0: Very well put. We uh, actually discussed lifespan and health span with uh, both Stu Phillips and Marty Kavala And we love that term because it really speaks to the quality of life that we aim to have as we age. And in light of that, can you tell us a little bit about what your patient population looks like in terms of uh, age groups, but also what brings people to seek out help from you and get involved with muscle-centric medicine?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, Stu Phillips is a very good friend of Donald Lehman's and uh, he really produces some incredible incredible work.
1: Yeah, he's one of the one of our close buddies. Now we interviewed him and I've been in touch with Stu for years now. He's kind of I remember the first protein researcher that I really dove into when I was getting into lifting. So I was like, man, this guy's putting out all the recommendations. And yeah, he's just such a great man, too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, your question was who comes to see me and I will tell you that I'm really what's considered a last stop doctor. So the average number of patients that are an average number of physicians my patients see before they get to me is about between nine and 14. I see a lot of really mavericks and innovators. I see Navy SEALs, I see moms, I see people who really believe that they can perform better and it doesn't matter what that domain is. For example, whether they're a professional athlete, a CEO or a mom. Who I really see are those people that are really ready to make radical change or have tried everything and cannot get better.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: They are typically, I mean, you know, my youngest patient is 17, but really anywhere from 17 to mid 60s.
1: Yeah, that's, I, I mean, it's a huge population. I feel like we also see a lot of people who have kind of come to a dead end and they're just like, hey. I'm doing, quote unquote, everything right. I've been told by expert X, expert Y that these are the things to do. Why is this not working? And it's it's wonderful that people will come to us for that, but it's always a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle and a challenge. So within your practice, can you talk to us a little bit about what the Lyon protocol is?
2: So the Lion protocol, yes. Oh, sorry, anyway, I'm sorry, Canadian. Hey, I won't hold it against you, guys are Canadian.
1: Exactly. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> sorry about that. Default. <laughs>
2: So the the LION protocol actually is really about reframing people's understanding of protein. So we know that the majority of people don't eat enough protein, no matter how you want to cut it, no matter what people think. The truth is most people are not uh, meeting above or at minimum the RDA, or let's say they're eating 0.8 grams per kilogram. We know that that's the minimum to prevent disease. So the lion protocol is really a strategy of eating. And the main focus is getting your total protein right, distributing it over the day and hitting a leucine threshold.
1: Great. So that is basically it's a protein dominant protocol, very focused on making sure that the largest organ in the body muscle is getting enough protein throughout the day to maximize muscle protein synthesis to make sure that muscle is healthy and growing. So I think yes? I'm
2: going to hire you. Yep. Are you, looking for another, are you looking for another job? You're hired. You know, my success is in the ability to communicate the importance. So my success, which is, you know, really based on the patient's success in terms of feeling like I've done a good job for them is my ability to communicate that exact language, that exact fact. And, and that's precisely what it is. So mm-hmm. making it a more protein dominant nutrition plan, understanding that if they get that first meal right, if they get breakfast right, they'll be feeling better by lunch. Or let's say they don't eat breakfast, but that first meal, you get that first meal right, you'll be feeling better by the next meal. So the patient's success is based on their ability to understand these very fundamental concepts. And of course, you know, that's what the Lyme protocol is about, and you know, it's also about limiting the carbohydrates per meal. So there is a carbohydrate threshold. And typically I do not have my patients eat more than 40 grams of carbohydrates per meal because you get a second, a a robust insulin response. So a phase two insulin response that's more robust. And really, if you're looking to maintain body composition, keep inflammation low. I mean, obviously you have to control for calories, But um, what I've seen is that weight loss and inflammation are much easier to get a handle on if you keep those ratios appropriate. Absolutely.
0: Um, and in light of that, you also do you do a lot of myth busting because understandably, if you're the doctor that people are speaking to after they've seen a dozen others, there are a lot of ingrained beliefs that come from society, that yeah. come from yeah. news headlines without an understanding of the research behind it, and that obviously come from other practitioners. And we see the same thing in terms of people's beliefs around injuries. But can you speak to your patient population and some of the biggest misconceptions people have around, uh, protein consumption?
2: I mean, I would say by the time they get to me, they've, they've done their homework. So they know really fundamentally what I'm going to talk to them about. But I would say the biggest misconception is that red meat is bad for you.
0: Oh yes.
2: (laughs) Nowhere in the history of ever when calories are controlled and fat is controlled is red meat in and of itself bad for you. And in fact, It's one of the most nutrient dense foods. And I am in no way paid by beef industry, right? So these are fundamental beliefs because I've actually had the education and done the work where I have sat beside, you know, I I trained, one of my training, my fellowship was in geriatrics and nutritional sciences. And um, for those people who don't know, that's taking care of people over the age of 65. One of the number one causes of morbidity and mortality is a decrease in muscle mass. Mm -hmm. So I believe very strongly about the message that I'm putting forth. And with all this nonsense in the media, it it really damages people. Because if you're 20s, 30s, even if you're in your 40s, you can get away with talking about eating just plant-based and red meat's bad for you. But quite frankly it's wrong information. And it doesn't mean that you have to just eat red meat. You don't have to. But the fact that individuals are saying, oh, you should go more plant-based and that's gonna be better for your health is the single worst piece of advice you could ever give anyone. Mm -hmm. And the reason I know this is because I've sat next to hundreds of dying people, right? So you are getting this information from people who have never actually done the work in the trenches. And I guarantee you that once individuals are in the position to do the work with the patients, you're not going to recommend things like eating less red meat. So anyway, to come full circle, the idea that red meat is bad is probably the biggest misconception that people have. Uh, I would argue that we have no data to support that. I would also say that it's one of the most nutrient-dense foods that will protect you as you age.
1: Correct. <laughs> you,
2: are, I, you are speaking about like a, a mouthful.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's to the point now, okay, especially ever since Game Changers came out.
2: Oh, God, shoot me.
1: Right? Uh, has, has this, have you had to debunk that to a thousand people as well?
2: I did. But you know, at some point, you stop. Yes. Because you realize that you can't change crazy. So <laughs> the people that are actually doing the work, like me, I see patients in real life and take care of real people. I don't have time to sit on the internet and argue back and forth with people that are crazy because in the real medical community, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we have discussions and we don't necessarily all agree, but we don't argue about, I mean, there are some zealots that are absolutely crazy and that's fine. But the way to get your message heard, isn't to belittle people or to you know, bully them or whatever, you know, the the game changers, the individuals that subscribe to that mentality are very bullying towards other people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I get a ton of trolls and it's, it's outrageous because my goal is to protect people from themselves. So when things come out like Game Changers, which is a entertainment film that people somehow believe is real science is you can't even argue with crazy. So that's my take on that.
0: Yeah, we we noticed a big trend like with all of our colleagues uh, putting out info about game changers. And we also had to speak to a number actually of quite young athletes to tell them that, you know, this is not the best way to replenish their bodies after tournaments and after practices or throughout the week. But eventually you just you're right. You just have to stop because some people will just take it so so personally online. That is more so than in person. I would a great- never
2: do it in person. I mean, I, I no. never forget. I never forget that I was on a panel with this guy, and he actually had sent me a bunch of hate, saying that I need to take my post down, and just crazy. And then he didn't realize it was me. And then he was like, "Oh, I'd love to come see you as a patient." <laughs> oh boy. Thinking, oh man, you're really crazy. So, you know, in person, people act really differently. And, you know, maybe they don't, but, you know, irrespective of how they behave, it's just, uh, you know, we're having fundamental culture problems. You know, people that don't deserve to have a particular opinion about something do. For example, you know, Stu Phillips' opinion is 10 times more relevant, you know, he does the research than, say, a 15-year-old blogger that is going out there just, you know, creating a ton of, like, hate and, and just poor behavior. Do you know what I mean? But they still Absolutely. can have the same visibility. And, and
0: unfortunately, um, I think many of the arguments are based off emotional rationale as yeah. opposed to research period. So as soon as people, even Stu Phillips said um, that as soon as people tell him they feel better, he's like, cool, conversation over. Because truthfully, you can switch diets to anything different and you can feel better for the first couple weeks. And even Chris Crusher spoke to that, saying that he went like full macro vegan for a while and just kept trying to go harder and harder into it until he realized
2: that it was actually making him sicker and sicker. Um, so that actually happened to me too. Oh. And um, I actually, for a period of time, was vegan, macrobiotic, and I got really sick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, yeah, I think that it's happened to a lot of us. And I think at the end of the day, it's we all want the same thing. Even if we're arguing, we really want the same thing. And that is we want people to feel well and be healthy overall, you know. And, yeah. I, I, and if we could become more united then we could probably come up with a solution much faster. Mm-hmm.
1: You are correct. And can I, can I ask, whereabouts were you in your life at that time when you made the choice to try that lifestyle?
2: I was training at altitude. I, um, had, I graduated high school early. I'd moved to Hawaii. You know, I didn't really have any other stress other than school. And, uh, you know, it just was something that I wanted to do. But I got really sick. And I was not eating a bunch of junk. I was eating rice and beans and tofu and uh, nuts and seeds and uh, yeah, just didn't work out.
1: And so when you say really sick, was that uh, from an energy perspective, was a digestive perspective, like what exactly happened?
2: Well, my hair fell out. My gums started bleeding. I couldn't recover. I was exhausted. I couldn't think, you know, it was just really tough. I had a lot of anxiety you know, there was a lot of, I mean, I wasn't getting the nutrients I needed and that, yeah. and that becomes very apparent.
1: Yeah. And so that's one of the things when clients will come to us and say, cause again, lately there's been a lot of, you know, I want to eat less meat. I want to go more plant-based due to the game changers effects, I call it. And for a lot of clients, because I, we've had a lot of discussions about the importance of protein and where the nutrients come from and all that. I, I am all for letting people try things totally.
2: and to Me too. objectively
1: track what happens? What happens to your sleep? What happens to your energy level? What happens to your hunger? What happens to your just general mood? Exactly. Digestion. And if you track things, then you can be objective about it and not just subjectively thinking something just because of an opinion that you heard.
2: Right. I totally agree with that. And you know, some of my best friends are vegan, by the way. So there are, you know, there's things that we don't know why it works. So for you know and i'm sure it has something to do with the gut microbiome and the individual's ability to extract amino acids and we're definitely going to be seeing more of that data come out i'm sure of it because i know that it's being done right now so there is individual variability however for the masses you know for me to feel comfortable making recommendations the one recommendation i would do say is yes go try whatever you want But I'm also going to offer you what I know is very sound, reproducible data.
0: Mm -hmm. And giving people objective things to measure. Like one of the biggest things is people will switch diets, regardless of which way they go and initially lose some weight. It's like going on keto, you'll lose some weight. Well, yeah, because you removed all carbs or going vegan might lose some weight because all of a sudden the person is cooking at home as opposed to eating out all the time because it required a little bit more foresight. And so they're not actually nailing down what the biggest thing was. And the biggest thing was maybe that they went from processed food sources to whole food sources. And I think to your point about we all are trying to say the same thing is there's such variance my mom doesn't eat red meat she finds um it doesn't sit well but she eats a variety of fish sources and eggs and different forms of milk and goat cheese and things like that so she makes an effort to have a very big variety in her diet whereas if i have try to have proteins from things like pulses i get massively ill So the biggest thing is like, you know, just going fully, fully plant-based without an education as to why behind it is just one form of the extreme, much like the carnivore diet is another form of an extreme. And one of the things we saw that you note is you speak to your clients about the why and the importance of figuring out their why in the changes that they're trying to make. Can you elaborate a little
2: bit on that with us? Well, sure. I mean, you have to have a fundamental understanding about your why, not what you're doing, because what you're doing is going to, you know, it's going to ebb and flow. If you don't feel like it that day, you're not going to do it. But if you know the why, and I don't just mean the science why, but the why of what you're doing, how it relates to your health, how your health relates to your ability to give back to the world. Mm -hmm. and your ability to be there for your family, and to be the person that you know you can be, you have to know why your health is important. So we get really clear why you're doing something, not what you're doing. So anyone can say, here's your program, we're going to execute it. But to understand their fundamental nature, and really bring that to light, that is the key to their success. Mm -hmm. Why versus willpower? Yeah, I mean, people don't, you know, I just had a baby six months ago. I don't want to wake up early to go train. Literally, (laughs) she's been up all night. She was up having a dance party at 3 (laughs) a.m. And then at 4 a.m. And then she just wanted to play for an hour till 5 a.m. And then I'm working all day. I don't want to get up and go train. But I do it. (laughs) Because I can't come in here and tell you guys that you should work the muscle of longevity and not do my own stuff. Or read whatever is relevant information and, and you know keep up. You have to be the example. You cannot, there can't be a discourse between what anyone is saying and what they're doing, right? The advice. So, you know, to really leverage my patients, I find out what kind of person they are, if they're going to need to know everything before we do it, if they're gonna uphold what the promise is to themselves, if they're going to, you know, do it for me but not do it for themselves. You know really just understanding who they are and then honing down so understanding their behavior patterns and then you know why why are you doing this mm-hmm.
1: yeah uh well first of all congratulations
2: <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh,
1: just to elaborate further on that i feel like a lot of people a lot of people who are even trying to improve their health still get caught up in the i should cycle and they end up doing things almost because they're like hey the the research says this the coach says this, I should do this, and their focus remains on that I should. And that can kind of create a guilt cycle if you don't. Whereas having the focus on what can I actually do that makes me feel great and gets me the results I need, when the focus can stay there, that's when we see that our our clients and our patients get such better results. And it all starts with that like mindset.
2: You know, it, it really does. And that's where people become deeply successful for the long term. And, uh, you know, you know, my husband's a Navy SEAL and I learn a lot from these guys that come into the clinic. It's, they're a very different breed than, uh, a lot of us. And I believe that we can learn from them and they have a capacity to really move off the X. So whatever their issue is, they're not perpetuating it. You know, I had one guy who, you know, is he's a breacher and he's 20 years in the team, in the teams and. You know, it's the equivalent of, oh, you're Canadian. That's, so it's equivalent to the Canadian assaulters, which I take care yeah. of some assaulters. And, you know, so this guy was a SEAL, went deployed, uh, never injured. He's a breacher, so he blows stuff up. And he comes back and he loses his leg from a 17-year-old girl texting and driving. This guy literally is a beast of a dude, and he loses his leg. And uh, sitting in my office, and, you know, I'm like, dude, how are you doing? And he's looking at me all crazy like, Doc, what are you talking about? And I was like, come on, you know, really, how are you doing? I'm like, Brian, you know, you like lost your leg. And he's like, y- uh, yeah, Doc, that was six months ago. <laughs> right? And most of us are still complaining about something that happened two years ago. This guy lost his yeah. leg like six months ago, and he's wondering why I'm still talking about it. Oh, right. Man. So there's a a capacity, you know, that just gives you an example. Those people that heal and those people that execute have an inherent capacity to move off their ex, to move, you know, and Jason Redman, he's a SEAL. uh, He's a a great friend and patient of ours. And he talks about this all the time. And, you know, it's really that capacity to transition your mind. That's what makes people successful in life, in health, in wellness and execution of a plan. You put that in place and people are unstoppable. That was a serious rant, I'm sorry, but super valuable.
0: No, we're we're both here nodding. We work with a lot of injured people and we can definitely see the ones who are guided, willing and ready to, you know, heal and just focus on forward versus the ones that haven't had that experience and haven't known how to move forward. So, you know, you get parts of, and and for a wide variety of reasons, trauma can be involved in it. And, just takes different processing for different people, depending on the reserves that they have, but we're both sitting here and and nodding because we can see that distinguishing point between the ones who are ready to just like execute and and move forward and just accept things and lessons for when they occurred, and then the ones that are still kind of stuck there and talking about an injury as if it was yesterday in the most colorful language that was actually really 10 years ago, which just shows us how much healing needs to be done to get them
2: off of the past track. Yeah, I mean, that that totally makes sense.
1: Yeah, exactly, it all starts with what's uh, upstairs between the ears. If If you're not there, if you're not ready to move forward, getting different results is very difficult. So all starts with the mindset piece. Now, getting back to the nuts and bolts of your practice, Let's do a few kind of like rapid fire little discussion pieces on protein itself. So what range is acceptable protein per day or per meal that you guide clients to consume?
2: So first thing, protein per day is really based on total body weight. Now, a lot of the science really says, you know, uh, base it on your lean body mass. I find in clinical practice for me and my patients that they do much better on basing it on ideal body weight.
1: Nobody knows what their lean mass is.
2: Right. Right. And, you know, you kind of have a sense of what your ideal body weight is, and there's no harm in eating that in protein. Mm -hmm. That being said, the per meal distribution is key. And, you know, a minimum of 30 grams, which that's the minimum amount required for, you know, muscle protein synthesis based on that two and a half grams of leucine, but likely not optimized by that 30 grams. So up to 50. But even if they wanted more than 50, they absorb it all. There just might not be any more benefit at that point. So those are really the two keys.
1: Okay. And so... Again, if we just want to talk about uh, Stu, uh, Stu Phillips and some of his recommendations. Um, mm-hmm. I know he even posted a little diatribe on Facebook the other day where he recommends between 0.8 and 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, which I mean, yeah. if you're a 200 pound man, then that would be basically between 75 grams and 150 grams and 150 grams. That would be 50 grams a meal per day at the upper threshold of that. Now, in recommending more than 150, wife, you know, a 200 pound man was uh, eating 200 grams per day. Do you find that you have other research that shows that he will use that?
2: Well, I mean, you use all the protein, right? So you utilize all the protein, and it really depends on, you know, on a patient's baseline health status. So if they have any kind of chronic inflammation, if they're overweight or obese, we know that there's anabolic resistance similar to an elderly patient or elderly tissue. So that's a, a great range, right? The evidence supports that just in clinical practice. When I see the needle move, people are not living in an island, you know, they're not living on an island relaxed with no inflammation. They are inflamed, they're stressed, <laughs> whatever it is. So I find that the requirement is, is higher, that they do better. Because I, I you, love can, that. you need to get your calories from somewhere. So if you're not going to yes. get it from protein, you're going to get it from carbohydrates and fat. And really, it becomes difficult unless you're tracking your macros because calories matter. Then, you know, it becomes challenging because then you have to make sure that you're tracking your stuff. And it's much easier to overeat fat and carbohydrates than it is to overeat protein.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that because that's you taking clinical research and applying it to a real life population where there are other factors that are not controlled for within the research.
2: Right, and I think that that's a a really important point. So there's definitely a difference between clinical research. And the point of clinical research is not to be an end all be all. And I think that people really don't understand that. The point of clinical research is to ask a question, really formulate a hypothesis, test the hypothesis, see if it makes sense, and then test it again and test it in different ways. But it's not, you know, I did a metabolic ward studies. The isolation of clinical research is different than real life. So it it really offers us guidelines. And then the art of medicine is implementation. Based on the specific person in front of you and their history. Yes. And it's probably the same in training. You can read a book, but the book and then the research coming out, you have to stay up to date and you have to take those ideas and then you know, create a plan and understand everything that's going on, right? I mean, it's, it's, it probably takes the same amount of creativity.
0: Absolutely. And it's, it's just uh, we work with so many people who do not fit the conventional uh, strength models because of congenital factors or because of injury history and because of life stressors. That's always a big one, right? As soon as you add a huge dose of stress into the mix, it changes the rules. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'm sure like protein consumption changes the rules. And then in terms of what they can do output wise within a exercise environment changes dramatically too.
1: Yeah. And just because we know the stress hormone cortisol, for example, is going to preferentially break down more amino acids, more muscle tissue than it is fat tissue. So again, those lifestyle factors are super important to understand. Another little thing I wanted to touch base on quickly here was, you know, you've worked with the aging populations. And it's just, you know, anecdotally, it seems that kids can eat anything and they're going to be totally fine. Their bodies are going to recycle the protein they need and they're going to keep on growing and be great. But as we get older, it seems like that mechanism within the body just really doesn't work as well. And as you get older, you need more and more and more protein. Can you speak to that at all?
2: So when you're young, you're really driven by hormones. I mean, think about it. Every high school athlete, you know, almost every single one could do whatever they want and still make improvements with a good training program. <laughs> right? Right. It's like incredible. And you're just thinking, oh my gosh, you are literally mowing tacos right now. How are you even doing that? But then this funny thing happens called aging, which seems to be inevitable for most of us. And as we age, we produce less hormones, or at least the hormones that we want, like testosterone. You know, when the hormones decline, you still have to drive muscle protein synthesis. So the way to do that is through resistance training and dietary protein. You cannot eat the way you did in your 20s and expect that to carry over and have the same amount of impact later on in life. It just doesn't happen. The tissue changes. Uh, We have a decreased uh, splanchnic extraction of the amino acids. So we have to accommodate our nutritional plan based on the change in hormonal status and aging.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's kind of just human nature where, you know, I've done X in the past and it's worked for me, or I've gotten away with X in the past and it's worked for me. And now it seems like it's not. And that again, it's part of the process. And that's why people need to embrace changes as they age, if they want to maintain their health, their health span and their lifespan. Absolutely. Now regarding protein, do you increase it or decrease it relative to physical output and exercise?
2: So I'd like to try to choose a level that is high enough where I don't have to do that. And really the thing that I end up changing is the carbohydrates. Well, they'll they'll have to earn their carbohydrates. I mean, again, this yeah. is very individual, but the most important macronutrient for me that they keep the same is really the protein. You know, of course, it depends on if they're doing some endurance, you know, you have to calculate all of that in, um, but... Protein is the foundation of the plate, and then carbohydrates come next based on activity. And then fat is you know, calculated in, depending on the amount of calories that they're burning per day.
0: Brilliant. We coach a lot of our young athletes. It's like we give them different groups that we would like, five main groups, and then they have to show us three at every meal, and one has to always be protein, like it has to be the base of every single yes. meal. And, um, it's, it's always surprising that a lot of people still preferentially choose carbohydrate based, but, uh, we do the same in terms of fluctuating the carbohydrate intake based on our output, based on what season of competing we're in and, you know, whether we've spent all day inside in (laughs) meetings and working or outside and, and, you know, cycling for five hours.
1: Only one of us does that for the record.
0: That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) So um, you tend to recommend that everyone engage in some sort of regular
2: heavy resistance training. Is that correct? Everybody. Mm -hmm. Non-negotiable. Everybody, right? That is a non-negotiable. It's just as important as anything and everything else, truly. If you do not stimulate that tissue through heavy resistance training, and listen, some of the data says if you're older, That as long as the exertion is the same and and if you can't lift heavy, that you're going to exhaustion, that um, you're still stimulating the tissue. However, while you're young and can do it, and if you can avoid injury, the more effort you put in, the more you're going to get out. Simple. Right. And you have to have a well-designed plan, right? So I don't actually do programming, right? You guys do that. I mean, people study this in school and and you really want to go to someone who's phenomenal at it. And it's their skill set, and it's what they do all day long. But heavy resistance training is a non-negotiable. Dance cardio, mm-hmm. jazzer size, negative, Houston, not going <laughs> to cut it.
0: You mean prancer size doesn't work?
2: <laughs> no, gosh.
0: But it looks
1: good.
2: It Does not look good, at least not around here. <laughs> we we have
0: one little thing that because of one of the specific populations that we work with, of which I am one of, I can no longer lift heavy, and with that, have spent a significant amount of time working with isometrics, various body weight yeah. disciplines, things that involve a lot of eccentric loading with body weight on yes. a variety of implements um, in order to retain actually regain a lot of lost muscle mass due to injury. And so in that particular instance, I think that's where there would be that one little exception to the role of heavy
2: totally. training, right? Well, totally, you know, so I, I tore my hand, I have my hamstring 80% off the bone. I tore my hamstring, both hips. I've had multiple sporting injuries and I still train and I, and I've had to go very slow. So I have done a lot of that training, Yeah. you know, and you work back up to it or you, you know, you do blood flow restriction or you find ways, maybe you do stem cell or PRP to get back to activity as quickly as you can. So yes. It, yeah. If you cannot lift heavy and you do have an injury, you still have to train and you still have to find a way around it.
0: Absolutely. Um, That's where we get as creative as possible to just to remind people that even if they cannot, we have so many other ways that you can move to make things happen uh, for the better. And, you know, even if your leg is like Dane's, uh, Dane had to get a procedure on his knee years ago. Well, two days later, we had him in the gym, like once all the meds and stuff had worn off and he could get himself down the street to the gym that was the rule once you could get there it was immediately into anything upper body that he was qualified to do loaded wise because that obviously helps the whole body regenerate tissue and I think sometimes people forget that they tear one thing or bust something up and think oh well I got to take six months off and that is incorrect, incorrect as Jane says
1: Yeah, and I think that we can bring this full circle right now and just remind the audience out there that muscle is the biggest organ in the human body. It's the most, it's metabolic tissue. And if you want to maintain the health of that tissue and or grow that tissue and or just prevent that tissue from atrophying, (laughs) then you need to push it to exertion because it needs that stimulus along with the dietary protein. And that's what's called being human.
2: Yep, Uh, I totally agree.
0: So we have a few wrap-up questions that we ask all of our podcast guests, and the first of which is, what is the most impactful book you've read in the last year?
2: You know, I read all the time, so (laughs) I'm just going to give you a couple of incredible books. Perfect. We read all the time. My husband and I read together. Relentless by Tim Grover is an incredible book. Atomic Habits by James Clear is also amazing. Overcome by Jason Redman is another incredible book. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. <laughs> Amino acids, if you guys really want to know, by Wu. You know that's great too. But there's so many good books.
0: Mm-hmm. We have, admittedly, I have a problem with books, and there are new ones entering our house every week. But we love yeah. recommendations. Uh there are two of those that we have not read so we'll definitely have to look into them
2: which two the relentless and overcome so those are both great books um i highly recommend it relentless i mean it's i've read it so many times it really oh, is. it is really game changing i'd recommend you guys pick that one up and it's it's really incredible truly um and any steven pressfield book is amazing have you guys read any of his books so he's I don't believe i have War of Art, <laughs> turning pro. You guys should definitely read that. And it's the okay. difference between being an amateur and being a professional. Ooh, love that. For example, my pregnancy, I had hyperemesis for ten months. I threw up every day, multiple times a day for ten months. Ugh. If I was an amateur. I probably would have called in sick to work. I probably wouldn't have showed up for the talks that I was scheduled to do. I probably wouldn't have done all the stuff that I had committed doing, but because I deeply believe it's important to be a professional, I showed up to everything.
0: That resonates so much. I've I've had so many epic injuries and still taught courses with some brainstem damage. I'm not saying that's a great thing and everyone should go do that, but that resonates there are certain things that you just a standard that you set for yourself and in many ways it can actually in like the reason I did it was because it was way better for me to focus on others and doing something to serve others than to just be at home in pain all day
2: totally you my dear are a pro (laughs) well thank you you have no idea
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and But also, Gabrielle, I'm not sure you heard. Books are a problem here. So giving her so many, I'm not sure I condone your behavior.
2: I'm very excited right now. <laughs> so many. No, no, no. I want I want a full report. And trust me, these books, you will go, oh, my God, they're so good. And then, of course, anything from Mark Devine amazing, too. He's a SEAL. He's a Commander SEAL. Incredible.
0: Oh, okay. Yes, I think Incredible. I have seen. Yeah.
1: Yep. You're an enabler. Bucks.
2: Yeah.
0: No, no, it's great. Unbeatable Mind. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. And he's got a new book coming out within the next, I think, March 25th. Oh, cool. It's just another incredible, human being, incredible uh, author.
0: Awesome. We and can link
2: that by in. By the way, I am working on a book which should be done oh. in a year. And I hope you guys will, I'll come back on when it is getting ready to launch and we can talk about it. We'll definitely have components of all of this in there. We would love that.
0: Um, If you get a launch date, I mean, I'll obviously check in with you because I know you're more than busy, but if you have an approximate launch date, I will put that in our calendar for me to reach out to you Okay. so that we can record and have that synced up. We actually managed to time that up with Dr. Jen Gunter as well (laughs) before the release of her book, but we'd love to have you on again to discuss that and obviously to get your book as well.
2: I would love that.
1: Excellent. All right. Well, tune along here. What is your non-negotiable daily self-care tool or habit? Well, I brush my teeth. Yep. <laughs> it's, we've had a few people give that one. Yes. Oral hygiene remains incredibly yeah, important. Yeah. And are you in the morning and in the evening
2: or just once? Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. I, uh, I, I'm definitely in the morning and at night. So my non-negotiable is I, I always write lists. I write lists of what my accomplishments are going to happen for the day. I'm really particular about what I have to accomplish, what hour it's going to be done, uh, and just really streamline my day. Mm -hmm. And I keep on top of those lists. That is non-negotiable.
0: That's great. We, We do the same sort of thing like the night before, set out exactly what has to happen the next day. And especially if you're running your own business, client-based, patient-based, base, is so crucial. Otherwise, so much time, you waste more time, but you feel more stressed about it. Yep.
2: You know, it's really, it's it's a habit to be excellent. And to have excellent disciplines, it's just a habit. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. Being a pro.
2: Yeah, that's right. Now, if you
0: had five minutes with someone... What is the one thing you would try and impart with
2: them to help them with their well-being? I would definitely want them to understand the importance of high-quality protein and the importance of a high-quality mind.
0: Brilliant.
1: Because as we've discussed, those things go hand-in-hand. Yeah, it's all true. Most importantly, Gabrielle, where can people find you?
2: (laughs) Um, They can find me on Instagram. I'm really active. at Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, L-Y-O-N. And my website is the same name, Dr. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I think Twitter is spelled out, doctor, and maybe Facebook is too. Not totally sure. Um, And they can look for my course that's going to be launching soon. And I have a weekly newsletter that people can sign up for. And I have another Lyon protocol that will be coming out soon. So they should sign up for that newsletter and they'll get all that information from that. Brilliant. Well,
0: thank you so much, Gabrielle, for making time today to speak with us and um, with our listeners. We really appreciate it, and we love seeing people who are uh, active on Twitter, like you and Stu, both active on Twitter, but just helping dispel some of the myths and clarify things in a way that people can truly understand.
2: Yes, and I, you know, like I said, I think we all want the same thing, and that's really for the best for people, you know, and and people wouldn't have invested in decades and hundreds and thousands of dollars in their education if it wasn't important or valuable.
0: Absolutely. So.
1: Yeah, and I think that that is a perfect way to wrap up. So, yes, thank you so much for coming on the show, and we will definitely catch you next time maybe in a year's time on the Move Daily Health podcast.
2: I can't wait. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate your time on a Friday.
1: All right. Have a good weekend. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for
2: listening.